Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they show it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted. By Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. Good evening, Bills Mafia in the house for the latest episode of Shout, a Buffalo Bills football podcast brought to you by off here. Syrac- uh, Syracuse.com, NewYorkUpstate.com. Uh, joined as always by my main man, Ryan Talbot. I am Matt Perino. Uh, and you know what it's going to be for the next month here. It's going to be all draft, all the time. Uh, we got an awesome guest tonight. I'm, I'm looking forward to getting him in here, Ryan. Uh, but how you feeling tonight, my friend? Hey, I'm feeling great. Like you said, it is now completely draft season, although the Bills are staying active here in free agency a little bit. But our attention has turned to the draft. It's going to be interesting to see what the team does here, uh, you know, less than a month away. We're going to run through plenty of scenarios tonight with our good friend from the Draft Network is in the house right here right now, Mr. Jordan Reed. How are you, buddy? How you, how you feeling? How you doing? I'm good, guys. I appreciate you having me on. It's definitely well, we, been a pleasure. We appreciate you coming on here because, you know, this time of year, I love tapping into uh, all of the expertise that is out there. I mean, you've been hard at work. I, I tore through all of your your big boards and uh, Mock Draft 3.0. I was able to check that out on YouTube over there. Definitely, go, I recommend going and just consuming all of Jordan's content because you'll become a smarter uh, draft fan. Uh, but how are things going for you this time of year? Because it's it's weird. Like we have all these pro days. Uh, what are you gleaning from those? And what are we missing without the traditional off season, without the scouting combine? And I'm sure, like I've talked to a couple scouts, it, it's just a little bit weird, different. What what's it been like from your perspective? Yeah, it's definitely been different. I will say that this has been a very unorthodox or unconventional year, just because. I think it was early March is when COVID really hit uh, as far as the pandemic. And, you know, if you think about March last year, really that's all the hay is in the barn in a sense, the combine already happened um, and then things of that nature. So you already had all the information that you needed pretty much, especially with the combine happening last year. But this year we didn't get the same amount of games. There was a lack of information that was missing. And there's a lot of teams that are still playing catch up, trying to get information on a lot of guys. So really their first interaction with a lot of prospects with that was at the senior bowl and some of these postseason all-star games when really area scouts, they go through those schools in the fall or sometimes in the spring of where you're able to ask the position coaches, the head coaches to get all this information on these prospects. So when you have these scouting meetings and when you're starting to form a big board, area scouts know exactly what they're bringing to the table and they have that background information as far as what's going and being fouled in their draft portfolio. But this year, without that lack of information, scouts really not having a lot of access access to games that we're playing a lot of catch up. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Jordan, most of our chat tonight is going to be about the 2021 NFL draft, but the Bills made a signing today. Forrest Lamp, offensive lineman, most recently with the Chargers. And when I was looking up information on his background a little bit, I came across some of your tweets back in 2017. He was a prospect you were high on. Now, he's battled a lot of serious injuries already in his NFL career. But what did you like about him coming out and how could he factor into Buffalo's offensive line? 
Well, I, I like the versatility that he showed when he was at Western Kentucky. He had some experience at guard, and then he also had some experience as tackle, which is where he played his last few seasons there. And Western Kentucky, even though they got blowed out, they had a game against Alabama during his last year. And that's really one that really stuck out in my mind against him just because with some of those lower tier schools, you always worry about how they play against the bump up in competition. But he showed that he belonged in that game. And it wasn't just that game. I thought he put some really good film out there. And I thought he was going to end up being a first round pick. And I think he still went by 36 to 37th overall, if I'm not mistaken. So pretty much a really high pick in a sense. And I know he's battled some injuries and, you know, his career hasn't panned out as best as he would have liked. But I was surprised that he wasn't signed at least during the second wave of free agency. And I think the Bills are really getting a steal in him just because I thought he played some decent football for the most part. And last year was really his first year of where he was healthy primarily for the entire season, if I'm not mistaken. So I think Brandon Bean does a really good job of just collecting those guys on one-year deals as far as veterans with interior offensive linemen. And it's kind of like a war in training camp, just letting those guys battle it out and may the best man win. If you're Forrest Lamp, I mean, I, I was looking for a funny gift today and I didn't have the time when it was coming out. I was doing other things. But I, I'm sure a bunch of these offensive linemen – kind of look at their phone when they get that message from their agent saying the bills are interested and they're just like giddy. I mean, run to the phone. How quickly can I accept this offer? Because you see, to your point, some of the success stories that, that we've seen over the last couple of years. I mean, Daryl Williams is obviously the biggest and, and grandest of them all, but even a guy like Quentin Spain, who didn't have a lot of interest in 2019 free agency, he kind of signed in the second or third wave, had a huge 2019 that earned him a three-year deal. Obviously that things went south uh, last season for him. But this is a place where I feel like, you know, I know the cliche is Sean McDermott uses his players use it. Come become the best best version of yourself. Well, I think a guy like Forrest Lamp is a perfect candidate to come in here, fight, you know, claw as much as you can to try to get get an opportunity, try to make the most of that. And if it doesn't work out from the Bills perspective, I mean, really, you're probably notching him in right now at seven, eight on the depth chart. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I think the Bills have done a really good job of kind of shifting their culture. And I think they're really in the position now to take risk like that. You know, even going back to last year, signing a Josh Norman, somebody like that, bringing in those veterans that can come in and they don't guarantee them starting spots. They just say, hey, man, just come in, compete, and we'll see what happens from there. So I think the Bills are definitely in position and they've established a culture and a roster like that to where people want to come play with people like this, like Josh Allen having the big year that he had last year, Stefan Diggs coming in. So Brandon Bean has done a really good job as far as establishing main guys on the roster, but I think he's done a really good job of filling out some of those other bottom tier positions of where now he can take a risk on veterans that are signing one-year deals. If you are in the comments section, please leave your questions. We'll try to get it to a couple of them as we go through the show. And then, you know, we'll hang around afterwards, maybe dive into some more Bill specific stuff, uh, react to some of what uh, Jordan has to say tonight. But I want to start with something that I think is interesting because we're at this point in the proce process where beginning of April, a couple weeks away from the draft, a lot of the work has been done. Where are you at in terms of maybe give me a player, two players, one that's maybe trended the, the highest over the last couple of months since the college season ended, and maybe somebody whose stock has dipped the most as we sit here at the beginning of April? I think one that's definitely trending upward is Jalen Phillips, the edge rusher from Miami. Uh, was a big-time recruit coming out in 2017. I believe it was. He originally started his career at UCLA. Uh, where he went on to have a productive freshman season. And then he had some off the field hiccups that resulted in him having a brief retirement. And then he ended up transferring to Miami. And we saw with Gregory Rousseau opting out, we saw Jalen Phillips, Jalen Phillips, excuse me, that opened up an opportunity for him. And he really has taken advantage of that only playing one year at Miami, but man, what is it? What it was a really good year for him. And now you're seeing him in discussions to possibly even being a top 25 selection. Now he does have, um, as far as some injury concerns, he has some concussions and he has some other stuff that's going on in the background with him. But if we take the those injuries out of the equation and we're just talking about the prospect on the field, I definitely think he's a first round talent. Now, on the flip side of that, a player that really has, I would say, kind of regretting opting out, uh, say Surratt, the wide receiver from Wake Forest. He's kind of a guy that's really trending in a backward direction. Things didn't really go as planned for him down at the senior bowl. And then obviously he didn't play last year as well. So he's definitely a prospect that's probably trending downward. Mm -hmm. go ahead ryan how much are those bowl games the senior bowl uh these these local pro days how much more are they factoring into draft stock this year than a typical year where you have a full season of film where you have some of these guys who opted out on the air so how much more stock is maybe being put into these senior bowls 
and, and all these other uh, bulls that these prospects are playing and leading up to the draft. It's huge. And it goes back to, <clears throat> excuse me, my earlier point about this is really a lot of people's first interactions with a lot of these players. Just talking about the postseason All-Star game, there wasn't a lot of exposure as far as meeting them in person at games. They didn't really have the access to that, obviously, just because of the pandemic. So a lot of schools really closed their doors to scouts just because that was protocol for them. And what usually happens with these area scouts is that they can go in and they can interview the prospect and then they'll go watch them at practice. So they'll be able to interact with them there. But now them not having that type of access this year, the senior bowl, some of these other bowl games was where they really had their first interaction with these guys. So they held a lot of weight this year in pro days as well. A lot of teams really had to go in and do their homework and get their own numbers just because there wasn't universal numbers just talking about at the combine this year that they could go by. So they had to hand time everybody that was on their draft board this year. So area scouts and evaluators really had to work hard this year. You mentioned Phillips and he's actually somebody I had circled that I wanted to get to specifically. So while we're on the topic, let's dig into him a little bit more. I'm interested to to know your thoughts on how he fits, not only in terms of what Sean McDermott traditionally looks for in his edge rushers. I mean, you know, big physical guys, you know, strong hands, the ability to, you know, be, be physical at the point of attack. I mean, they don't really necessarily look for those bendy super athletes on the edge, or at least they haven't, you know, since 2017, since they've been in Buffalo. So I'm curious, how does Jalen Phillips fit? What does he do well? And how do you think he would fit into what they, what they built on this D line in Buffalo? Well, I'll just start with the player first. And I think pass rush is really, really where you're going to get the most from him. I think that's what his game is predicated upon. And that's not to say he's not a versatile player. I think he's fine against the run. I think he's very physical. You can just go watch him against Duke and Virginia Tech. I think those were easily his best games of his career last year. But he has that different gear of where he has a very explosive first step, but also he can kind of disconnect his upper half from his lower half. And what I mean by that is he can bend the arc and he can run what's called like an imaginary hoop around the edge. And then also he can redirect and have a lot of things going on for him in that area too. So I think he would fit in very well. And I think edge rusher is something that they're going to have circled at the top of their draft board, just because Jerry Hughes is getting older. They have some other players that are older at the position as well. And then, you know, with AJ Epinesa, we don't know what he's going to be on the next level either. So we'll see what happens with that. Got my daughter's crying in the background. Sorry, oh, it's all that. good. Mine was crying right before we started here. So this is a uh, this is a family friendly podcast. Don't worry about That's that. Right. So shifting gears now to the other side of the ball on on offense. This year's quarterback class has been, I think, pretty well hyped up. Obviously, Trevor Lawrence has been the the golden child at the quarterback position for the last few years. How does this quarterback class compare to the 2018 class? They had Josh Allen and Baker Mayfield uh, and obviously Sam Darnold, someone else that we're going to talk about here in a few minutes. I think it compares very favorably. Uh, I think Trevor Lawrence probably will obviously be the top ranked guy, no matter who it is, whether it's 2018 or this class, just because there's so uh, there's so little holes in this game overall. But now I think I think it gets really interesting after that, just because you're talking about Justin Fields and Zach Wilson, how they compare to guys like Josh Rosen and Sam Darnold and Lamar Jackson, even Josh. And if you, you guys firmly know that how many holes Josh had in his game coming out and how he was just picked apart during the entire process. And it's kind of reminiscent of what we're seeing with Justin Fields right now. And I don't have to get into the stuff that's going on with him just because that's just a lot of stuff that's going on just ridiculous with him right now. But it was a lot of similar things with Josh Allen too, you know, the level of competition and, you know, him not knowing ball speeds and the completion percentage and how it was lower than 50% and the 60% threshold is something that evaluators use a lot. So, I think it's very similar. Now, we don't have the athlete or the different type of specimen like Lamar Jackson was coming out. I don't think we have a quarterback like that in this draft class, but it's very interesting comparison to make. But I think this one is a little bit stronger um, just because I like fields a little bit more than what Baker was coming out. And then, you know, Zach Wilson, he has a lot of favorable traits that can compare very similarly to, to Baker Mayfield as well. So I like this class a little bit more. Yeah, it's funny you say it. you bring you bring up Justin Fields. Like, I feel like the draft – um frenzy you know in the media and you know it's obviously become a fan event and so content is at a premium this time of year and i think that a lot of times you know we get through this process and we we get to this process and in deep and forget about the stuff that really matters i mean you go back to justin Fields, some of the things that he was able to do you know last season in ohio state i mean he's he's a special talent i mean in my mind, I don't really see as as high as you might be on Trey Lance, and I've read some some things, and you can maybe get into that a little bit. What what you think he can be? I think what you what you're getting in a Justin Fields, that proven ability to play at a high level. 
I think that that sometimes we forget about that or don't value that enough. Yeah, what happens a lot of times in the draft process is that people just get bored and they just look for holes to poke in individuals. And we see it predominantly with quarterbacks. And there's somebody that it happens to every year. You know, it was Lamar Jackson when he was coming out. It was Josh when he was coming out. And then this year, it just seems like it's Justin Fields for whatever reason. So there's always that one player that some people like to use as a punching bag. And it's not just quarterbacks. It happens at every position across the board. Uh, Caleb Farley is one guy, you know, he has the injury concerns right now, but there's some people poking a lot of holes in his game too. Um, But with Justin, I think he's a very high upside player. Reminds me a lot of um, Steve McNair is a name that's been floated out there for him a lot. I think he's very reminiscent of Steve, uh, just trying to paint a picture of what he can be on the next level. And just like any other quarterback, he has holes in his game overall, but I just always revert back to Josh Allen and that you have to see prospects. And this is a scouting term that I love to use. You have to see them with both a microscope and a telescope. So, of course, they're looking at him with the microscope right now, just judging him what he can or what he is in his present state. But sometimes you have to look at it with a telescope lens as well, just projecting what he can be from a far view or in the future. And I think that's what a lot of people fail to do with Josh Allen. But that's exactly what the bit what the Bills were able to do. And that's why they have themselves a franchise quarterback now. Here's a question in the chat here. Uh, I at the moment on YouTube from this cl- class is Trey Lance most like Josh Allen. And I, you know, me personally, I, I struggle to, to, to with comps in general, but that comp is really hard because you really have to project somebody like with an absolute once in a generation type of path that Josh Allen had. And so I guess trait wise, we could talk about that a little bit, but what, what are your thoughts on Trey Lance and, and maybe who he, who's, you know, maybe a comparison. Uh, Dak Prescott is the comparison that I use for him. I see a lot of similarities between him and Dak coming out, being in very run-centric type of offenses, a lot of tight ends, a lot of 11 to 12 personnel of where he just wasn't, uh, he wasn't given the reins a whole bunch in the offense. And that's understandable. He was a redshirt freshman. He's only started 17 career games, but he has an undefeated record. And I think the zero interception moniker with them coming out of his freshman season was a little bit misleading just because he did have some balls and some games where that's that could have been intercepted. But as far as what he can be on the next level, I think he definitely can be a franchise quarterback. But you talk about somebody that has every single trait that you're looking for. He has accuracy to all three levels of the field, and he just has those tools that you love to see. He just needs somebody to unlock them for him. So uh, I'm a big fan of Lance. It's just a matter of him and his inexperience. He's only going to get better with those reps, though. He just needs to – get some reps and the central Arkansas game this year is something that a lot of people kind of picked apart with him, but it was one game and I don't think it should have moved the needle in any direction for him. You really have to go back and look at his 2019 stuff. I think that's where you're going to get the best gauge for him. You know, speaking on the quarterback class still, Zach Wilson is probably a name that the Bills fans need to get to know. It looks like he is pretty much locked into that number two pick for the New York Jets. Uh, Joe Douglas most likely just wanted to draft his own quarterback. He wasn't there for the Sam Darnold pick uh but what were your thoughts on one what the Jets were able to get for Sam Darnold and two the fact that they were able to move on or willing to move on from him so early in his career to to now pretty much start all over again at the position well guys what usually happens with the new regime especially when they don't select that quarterback they're going to want to bring in their own their own guy and that's not just that quarterback it usually happens across the board you guys experienced it in Buffalo They didn't necessarily clean house, but they wanted to bring their own guys in there just because um, I think it was like Marcel Darius. They took like the big dead cap hit for that. So they wanted to bring their own guys in there for that. So that's a similar situation as far as just talking about bringing their own guys in. But Zach Wilson, I think he's very talented. A lot of people had late round grades on him entering the year. And there's always this one guy that just comes out of nowhere as far as taking that next step in their development. We saw it with Joe Burrow a year ago and Zach Wilson was that guy. This year and just with Sam Darnold, I think he's still very talented. I I think it's just a situation of where he was just in a toxic environment with Adam Gase and then the lack of weapons there for him. And we all know like every young quarterback, no matter how they are, they need to have what I like to call the three P's. So they have to have protection. They have to have playmakers and they have to have a good play caller. If you don't have any of those three, you're not setting them up for success. And I keep reverting back to Josh Allen. He has Brian Dable. They made the big trade for Stefan Diggs. And we see the resources that they pour in on the offensive line year in and year out. So uh, with Darnold, as far as the transaction, we knew exactly when it was going to or it was going to happen. We just didn't know when it was going to happen. So I was really impressed what they were able to get for him, though. 
I was um, listening to Michael Lombardi's uh, podcast uh, the other day, the GM Shuffle, and I think it was actually his episode today. And one of the topics that came up was, you know, Hugh Jackson. They like to, you know, make light of him a little bit on that show for whatever reason. Um, but a comment that he made recently about the decision between Mitchell Trubisky and Miles Garrett back in that draft, and Hugh Jackson was pounding the table for Miles Garrett. A lot of people in there wanted Mitch. Uh, Mitch Trubisky. Uh, they got into that whole conversation. I'm not as interested in, in that as what an idea that kind of came from from Lombardi. And he said, listen, if you're in the draft room, it's not about when you take a player. It's what a player can can do for you. And he said, you know, he he obviously has been in NFL front offices before. He's dealt with coaches. Um, he basically said, like, it doesn't matter when you take a player. It, it matters what they can do. And you know, I started thinking he kind of made, made light of like people that put draft grades on on players and uh, how that do, that doesn't necessarily how it works inside NFL war rooms. And, you know, I, I like Mike Lombardi. I, I find it entertaining. I like getting perspective from guys that have been in it and done the job. But then I kind of go to what we've heard from Brandon Bean over the years and the fact that they do set up their board and they do put grades on players and they do kind of see where somebody would fall into the group. So, you know, the big contention that Mike made was don't tell me that, you know, Mitch, you know, Mitch Trubisky is not a first overall pick. Tell me, is he, is he a player that you believe in or not? Well, I think that there has to be some context there. I think that you have to, you're not going to reach on a guy, a quarterback, if say for instance in this draft, if you like Trey Lance, but you don't like him in that top four range, if you're the Atlanta Falcons, maybe, and I'm not saying that this is the case, but you got to be sure when you get a swing in that top five, that that swing's going to work. I mean, what are your thoughts on all that? Yeah, I think the biggest thing that even in the draft media, what a lot of people fail to do is that they just focus on what they can't do and not necessarily what they can do just because the hardest thing about draft media is that we're not drafting for an actual team. And what I mean by that, it, that is there's no specific scheme. We're not looking for certain type of individuals and certain types of check check uh, boxes that they check off. Excuse me. So with that, you're just grading players based off their tape. A lot of people don't really do background information either just because you don't have to check that. Just because we don't work for a team, we're not worrying about building a roster mm -hmm. either. So you really have to focus on what a player can do. Don't really focus on what he can't do and then the value that he brings to the table. Very well said. Running back position. That's been a popular mock draft pick for the Bills at number 30. However, they've also spent day two picks in the past two drafts on Devin Singletary and Zach Moss. So what's the upside to bring in a, a top talent at number 30 compared to what the Bills have been doing? And are the Bills almost hamstrung in terms of selecting a running back in, early in this year's draft based on what they've done in the past? Well, there's always that one random team at the back end of the first round that ends up selecting a running back. We saw it last year with the Chiefs. And then it's really hard to project where running backs are going to go just because everybody likes to say don't take running backs in the first round just because what I like to say, you can find them at the local gas station and get production from them just because <laughs> everybody likes to recycle them throughout the league. But uh, if I were the Bills, I would wait a little bit. But I think you have to take one, especially on late day two, early day three. And this class is kind of top heavy. For the most part, I know Najee Harris has been a popular selection for them at 30. I don't even know if Najee is going to be there uh, just based on some of the things that I'm hearing. Travis Etienne is another player that's been projected to the Bills at 32. So um, it wouldn't surprise me if they do take a running back in the first round. But just based off what they have done in previous years, it, it would be very surprising to me. Um, but I will say this about Zach Moss. I think you just have to kind of treat him as if he's not there. And what I mean by that is just because of the injury things with him. I don't think you can necessarily count on him in the future just because he's gotten hurt constantly at Utah. And then the same thing has happened with Buffalo. So I think he's just one of those players that kind of is injury prone a little bit. And then with Motor Singletary, I think he's kind of best as a 1B rusher as a complimentary guy to a 1A. So if you're looking to bring in that bell cow guy, I definitely could see them doing that somewhere on day two. Um, maybe somebody uh, like a, a Javante Williams. I think he could be a good pickup for them somewhere on day two uh, or even a Trey Sermon like that in the fourth round, uh, third or fourth round, I definitely think that could be uh, a good pickup for them. I was checking out your big board uh, earlier today, and it looked like you had 22 players with first first round grades or first round value in terms of your charting. How does that compare to, you know, the most recent years in terms of, you know, maybe what's your record where, you know, the, the most first round grades that you've ever given out for a draft? 
So it's right on par with what I have done in years past. I think I had 24 the prior year to that in 2020. And then I have, like you said, 22 this year. And, you know, based off what I've heard that goes on, just talking to scouting buddies, there's usually 15 to 25. That's usually like the standard number as far as first round grades that happen in draft rooms. Mm -hmm. And in terms of the wide receiver position, there's, there's a bunch of guys at the top there. Those three, uh, it kind of similarly to last year when, you know, that, that, that Henry Ruggs, Jerry Judy, uh, group, uh, there was one more in there that were really good after that. And this is a topic that among bills fans, I think is starting to, you know, gather steam because as you, as you go through these mock drafts, I mean, there's real potential that you, you, you take positions of need like edge rusher, a Jalen Phillips, and maybe a, a quitty pay aren't there at 30. Some of the top cornerbacks not going to be there at 30. Maybe you address address offensive line, but if you really want to make a splash, maybe receiver is a way that you can go. Maybe if a Kadarius Tony is there, uh, I know a lot of people, Elijah Moore uh, is another name. What are your thoughts on those kinds, kinds of guys? And are they worth that 30th pick? Because I've seen some some mock drafts now starting to pop up with those names. What are, you, what are your thoughts on those two players in, in particular? Well, I'm a big fan of taking receivers on day two. That really seems like the comfortable range, especially of where we've seen success stories from last year. Even going back to last year, talk about like T. Higgins and LaVisca Chenault, Denzel Mims. The list goes on and on of some of these players that were you know, drafted in the second or even third round on day two mm-hmm. of where they went on to have a lot of success. And it's not just last year. It's been like the past four or five years. And I can go on and on about the guys that have went in the second or even third round, A.J. Brown, uh, Terry McLaurin, D.K. Metcalf. I mean, you're just ripping off names here and there. So I think the second round is really where like that gold mine range of where you want to take a wide receiver. Somebody like a De'Ami Brown, I think would be a really good pick for Buffalo in the second round or even Amara St. Brown uh, in the third round at number 93 overall. I definitely think he could be somebody that they have circled on their board. Absolutely. The other really popular position in mock drafts has been cornerback. Now, let's just say it could be round one, pick 30. It could be day two. Is there a cornerback in this year's draft class that you see being a great scheme fit for Buffalo? So someone, obviously, that's good in zone, that's assignment sound, able to recover, has some speed, and obviously tackling is really important to Sean McDermott. Is is there one prospect that you say, man, if the Bills get this guy opposite Trey White, their defense is going to be that much better? Yeah, there's one I think is going to be really high on their board. Maybe not necessarily at 30, but let's say they trade back maybe into like mid to late 30s or early 40s. And Eric Stokes Jr. from Georgia, I think he's one player that they're going to like a lot. Has a a build very similar to Josh Norman, but you saw he ran 4-2-5 at Georgia's Pro Day. A very interested and willing tackler. He has the ball production. He had two pick sixes last season. Uh, And then also I thought he was very productive for Georgia. So a true blue collar guy. That's something that Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott say a lot. They want players that are tough and just love the game of football. And that's the type of vibe that you get from Eric Stokes. So I definitely think he would be a player that they have a lot of interest in. You also mentioned Caleb Farley and and the, the back issues, the health concerns. If he were to fall to 30, how would he fit in Buffalo's defense? Uh, he'd be a home run. Uh, I'm still a huge fan of Caleb Farley if he's there um, at 30 for them. I mean, that would be amazing for them. But once again, it just comes back to the medicals and how comfortable they feel about that. But as far as the talent, you're talking about a player that's a top 10 to 12 talent if we're just excluding the back issues. Uh, we got a question here on Twitter uh, from VP GIF. Who are some of the day three defensive tackle sleepers that fit for what the Bills do on defense? And obviously, you know, in terms of what they've brought in, uh, they have Harrison Phillips, who's kind of that tweener uh, between one tech and three tech at Oliver at three tech star coming back at one. Um, they they do rotate in a lot. Who are some guys that maybe fit maybe either, uh, you know, a hybrid or somebody that can kind of do a lot of things or maybe even a backup one tech that they could start to develop behind Star Latule? Yeah, there's quite a bit in this draft class, and everybody knows that this isn't a great interior defensive line class. So if they're looking for day three, uh, Bobby Brown the third from Texas A&M, he's somebody that I like a lot, a player that's not getting a lot of buzz right now, uh, but he was very productive at Texas A&M. I thought they had a very good defense for the most part last year, and he was a big reason behind that. About six foot four, 310 pounds, so he's primarily your one technique, but he can slide over and play some three. And we know the Bills like to rotate their guys on the inside quite a bit. And I think he can be that versatile type of guy. Another one is Kieras Tonga from BYU. He's more of your two-down run stuffer type that's very reminiscent 
of Harrison Phillips. Not going to give you a whole bunch on third down, but as far as if you're looking for a two-down run stuffer, I definitely think Tonga could be a key cog in the middle. Two names that have been brought up in in the chat are Tadaryl Slayton uh, as a one technique, and then Shelvin. Uh, Shelvin's been a very popular pick amongst the Bills yeah. mafias. That you know that that run stuffer. Uh, where do you see those two players falling, and are they worth where they would go in terms of what Buffalo does with their rotation? I think Shelvin's probably going to go in the third round. Uh, just because of the value that he does provide. His pro day wasn't great, but he opted out last year. But as far as the value that he brings on the first two downs, um, I definitely think he's one of the better in this draft. Just a massive dude in the middle, uh, six foot three, six foot four, about 350 pounds, but he's very athletic. Um, and I really like what he brings to the forefront on that. And to Daryl Slayton, another guy about six foot five, 360 pounds. So he's a little bit bigger than what Shelvin is, but Another guy that's just a true two down. I think he's probably a zero technique. I don't know if he's going to be a one technique on the next level just because he's not that super explosive, get up the field type of player. So you really want a two gap. And so you want to manage both of those A gaps for the most part. Ryan on YouTube has a question. Who is a better fit in the offense for the Bills, ETN or Harris? And I know that in your latest mock draft, you had Harris um, mocked to the Bills at 30. Uh, and I, I remember you talked a little bit about, about it in your, on your YouTube page. And like I mentioned earlier, definitely go check that out. But who do you think would fit a little bit better? I think Harris, just because of the value that it provides in both phases. And I think it can be more of that 1A type of role. I think I have some questions a little bit as far as ETN in that main role. Um, even though he did it at Clemson, I think Najee is probably better suited. And I think he's a better pass catcher and pass protector of the bunch too. So that's why I said, I think he would fit a little bit better. And we know Josh really likes to throw it to the running backs out of the backfield, just because how much they've got involved the Moss and then also Singletary too. So I think Harris can be more of that running back that you can design passing concepts around. I don't think, I don't think ATN is necessarily that guy of where you want him in mismatch, create mismatches on linebackers like Alvin Kamara, that how they use him for the saints. I think Najee definitely can play that type of role a little bit better than what ATN does. Um, this has been great. Very informative as usual. Why don't you let everybody know where they can find your work? Cause I'm sure as we chug along here, these next couple of weeks, it's going to get more fast and furious as we go. Yeah. So you can find me on Twitter at Jordan underscore read. That's J O R D A N underscore R E I D. You can also find my work on the draftnetwork.com. We also have a mock draft simulator uh, that, that lets you play out all seven rounds of the draft. So if you want to put yourself in Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott's shoes on draft day, you're able to do that. You can trade up or trade back if you want to get one of our premium prescriptions, if you have the means to do that. Also, you can find my podcast, the Read Option Podcast, R-E-I-D. My man, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Go uh, go hug your little girl. Tell her uh, daddy's all done. <laughs> Thanks, guys. I appreciate you guys. Thanks as right, always. Take care. Thank you. All right. Jordan Reed from the Draft Network. Uh, awesome, as always. Great insight, Ryan. Uh, let's get into some takeaways here because, you know, we, th- this is now our second week in a row here, uh, focusing on the, uh, the draft, bringing on an expert. And as we move through this thing, I mean, who are, you know, at this point in the process, who are some of those guys that you have underlined as, you know, if this guy is there at 30, this is a can't miss. Uh, Ajiz Olajari, and I, hopefully I didn't just butcher his name a little bit. You, you see him all over the draft boards, though. George Edge Rusher, uh, going anywhere from mid-first to pick 30. I've seen him follow the Bills in a few. Uh, I, I think he's a home-run pick. I, I think Equity Pay is a solid option if, if you're staying on that side of the ball as well. Uh, it, it's hard to project, though, because a lot of these edge rushers I could see going earlier than 30. Cornerback, I've I've been big on Caleb Farley. You know, again, Buffalo would have all the medicals that that hopefully that they would need to make that determination on whether he would be worth the pick. Uh, Stokes has been another player who Jordan mentioned tonight has been in that 30 range in a lot of these mock drafts, maybe a few picks uh, later in early day two. So I, I could see him fitting in. Brandon Bean, though, just keeps going out and signing these lower tier players to come in and compete. We've seen it on the offensive line. We've seen it at running back in the, in the last few weeks. That doesn't mean that they're going to shy away from either of those positions, though, either. So right now the Bills truly are in a great position. Best player available. I love that you brought up wide receiver because, you know, you look at the wide receiver room and they're, they're five deep right now, but they have a few guys in one-year deals. They, you know, they, they bring back Isaiah McKenzie. Uh, they, they sign... Uh, Emmanuel Sanders, you get Cole Beasley, who's getting up there in age. 
So you do have to replenish that room sooner rather than later. And if someone falls in your lap in round one, that's an intriguing possibility too, perhaps even more so than a running back. Yeah. Uh, it's tough for me because I think depending on how this thing plays out and depending on your possibilities, I think for me at this point, the two guys that really stand out are Jeremiah, uh, Uosa Cormoa mm -hmm. and Jalen Phillips. I, we brought it up with Jordan. This is a guy that, you know, I've even been hearing that, you know, in terms of trending upwards is a guy that's made some uh, real leaps the last couple months and somebody that I think, listen, the value there could be huge. I mean, Quiddy pay is a guy that everybody's talking about the intangibles, uh, the physical, uh, you know, the, the physical traits, all those things are great. Uh, I think Phillips might have a little bit more upside from what I'm reading and gathering and hearing. Uh, so if you can get him, but the problem is, Pay and, and Phillips to me are two guys that are likely going to be off the board at 30. Uh, Uosa Koromoa, probably the same type of deal. Uh, although he's somebody that I think like a lot like Kyle Duggar. Remember last year when we were getting into, you know, the final weeks of the, uh, of the draft season, especially on the heels of the combine and Duggar was somebody that, you know, some mock drafts had him going like in the twenties mm -hmm. in it, you know, so I think that sometimes, we see a, a player that, you know, obviously, you know, is a great player and has could fill a specific need for a lot of different teams, but maybe the draft community is is overvaluing them. So I think that maybe if you're the Bills, maybe he's not out of the realm of possibility at 30. We've seen crazier things happen. To me, those are the two guys right now. Then Farley, who I also don't think is going to be there at 30. Um, maybe you entertain a Greg Newsom or uh, in a crazy scenario, Patrick Sertain, if he falls. Um, but I think that I've seen it said a lot of times trading back a couple spots at this point, maybe adding another top 90 pick doesn't seem like the worst idea, especially if some of those key guys that maybe you have targeted are, are gone and you're not able to trade up because that's the thing. If Jalen Phillips and, and, uh, JOR go in the first 2022 picks that might be a little bit too rich for brandon beans blooded to, to trade back up to try to get one of them yeah and even if it's not a 2021 draft pick maybe he says oh you know i wouldn't mind having another pick in, in next year's draft a higher pick uh if we move back a few so i, I think he's going to be open for business if, if the right team comes along and makes the the uh, a deal that catches his attention i think the bills have that flexibility there's no one that they have to sit there at 30 and say we need to target this position or this player and take that that best player that position they can move around a little bit they can move up as well i mean i wouldn't put it past brandon bean to go up and get his guy in the mid-20s if someone that he has as an outlier someone that's still on his board that maybe he saw as a mid first round pick was still sitting there he's our he's already shown many times in his you know, young tenure as Bill's GM that he's willing to get aggressive to go get his own guys. There is a question here in the chat. Actually, maybe it's not even more of a question. Uh, does anybody beat Tom Brady next year? The answer is no from Jesse Smith. You know, I, I get it. The, the Buccaneers got hot in the playoffs. They played great in the Super Bowl, blew out the Chiefs. Uh, but, uh, you know. Let me just break in here because as you were reading that question off, I envision like Shawn Michaels climbing the turnbuckles and going to the top rope ready to jump off and deliver one of his finishing moves. Like, are you, are you coming for Jesse right now? Are you, are you going to no, drop the hammer? No, I'm okay. not. I got that feeling. Like <laughs> I, I, I thought that, that we were going to have a, a great take that you were about to drop there. All right. All right. Go ahead. No, I, no, but I'm loving all this wrestling talk hung out with Matt recently and he, he was dropping all this wrestling knowledge blown away. Um, no, I have, just... I have some, I have like two layers of, all right, John, um, I have two layers of wrestling. I used to watch the wrestling tapes back in the Hulk Hogan days. I, I watched all of them as a kid. And then I watched like the rock era. But once he left, I was out. We've talked yeah, about this. Understandable. Nothing wrong with that. But, you know, there, there's no crystal ball. Though I get that Tom Brady has won many, many rings. He, he just solidified his status as the greatest quarterback of all time. But no one knows who's going to be there next year in the Super Bowl. There's a very good chance that it's not the Buccaneers representing the NFC. The there's going to be plenty of teams that are reloaded that are going to be going for them. I get that their division got a little bit easier, obviously, with Drew Brees retiring. But let's not assume that any team is going to be in the Super Bowl, just like a lot of people are assuming that the Chiefs will be in the AFC Championship game. 
there's no saying that it's going to be the Chiefs or the Bills. It's hard to get to those games year in, year out. So, you know, let's not just assume that Brady's going to be that guy that's there at the end of the season because it's a lot easier said than done. All right, let's go to this chat or this uh, chat room here. Uh, any questions? Anything you guys want us to hit? We'll we'll hang around for a few minutes. I think there's a there's a lot to talk about still. Um, you know, I, I want to go back to Forest Lamp a little bit because I I know we talked about it at the start, and, but I think that there's more to kind of unpack there. I, I really like this move. It, it has a it has the vibes of what you know that under the radar type of signing that you know i saw a lot of comments when they signed when the when the, the news came out like oh he stunk anybody that played for the chargers offensive line last year flush him like you know is terrible all this that listen sometimes players i mean if you want to talk about players finding second life you know, in their careers. I mean, look at look at what's happened here for some players that have come to Buffalo and figured things out. I mean, obviously, Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer are two of the greatest shining examples of that. But you go to the, you know, the, the offensive line and look at the, and even internal players like Deion Dawkins, who had a rough year two. The, the Bills kind of broke everything down, rebuilt the coaching staff and uh, talent around him. And Deion Dawkins has turned into one of the best left tackles in the league. I think this is a place where, Injury-prone players can come to try to get right physically. Uh, obviously, the strength and conditioning and the, the the therapy team that they have here to keep guys healthy. Uh, players have been very um, outspoken about how great they run things in that facility. That's important. But I also think you take a shot on a guy with some talent, and that's what to me what this is. And I and I think that you have to get to a point with a regime where. You trust in their ability to evaluate and use their resources to take a swing on a guy. And hey, sometimes swings misses miss. I mean, Brian Winters was a swing and a miss. I mean, he came in, he was a depth piece. When he had to play, he wasn't very good. That could be Bobby Hart. That could be uh, Jameel Douglas. That could be uh, Forrest Lamp, who, by the way, $250 for a lamp, Brian. Tell people a little bit about that. <laughs> that's that's some crazy, that's a crazy De Niro. Two hundred and thirty dollars. Okay, Matt. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Two hundred and thirty. Yeah. So he has his own endorsement gig uh, with Lamps Plus, and part of that was having his own lamp. Uh, the the forest. I'm trying to think of the the official name of it, but I, I, it's linked in the article. Two hundred and thirty dollars. It can be yours. Beautiful base on it. Looks like you're out in the wilderness. Uh, so I, I do like the fact that he, he used his name to find an endorsement dealer as agents did. So kudos to him, but you know, just speaking specifically to Forrest Lamp, I actually really did like this signing. Uh, he was someone that really held his own at the senior bowl. Like Jordan mentioned, uh, on tonight's show 38th overall pick in that draft class. And he's just had bad luck with injuries. First year tore his ACL before the season even began. So he missed his entire rookie year. Second season, he came back. Uh, he was inactive for most of that season. And then the third year, he started two games. He was playing more, and then he had another season-ending injury later in the year. So this past year was the first season where he was completely healthy at the start of the year. He played 100% of the team snaps last year for the Chargers, so he was reliable. He started every game. He played every snap for this team. And like you said, that's, you know, he could come to Buffalo and, and some, something could click further for him. He's very inexperienced at the NFL level, but he did have that full season to build off of coming into this year. And it's an insurance policy. If Cody Ford does not turn into the player that the Bills think that he can be, you have options. If someone gets injured along that offensive line, whether it's Mitch Morris, and then you have to slide John Feliciano to center, uh, then you have another guard option with playing time, playing experience. The Bills do this every year. Brendan Bean brings in these guys late in free agency. They have starting experience that can come in and contribute. Not every one of those players makes the team, and that's okay. But he has those options in his back pocket. They're going to come to camp. They're going to compete. And the best 8, 9, 10, however many offensive linemen they decide to keep, probably 8, 9 range, will make this final roster. So check this out. Um, Sal Capaccio, our good friend uh, of the show, WGR 550, 
uh, he, he keeps a running tally of the roster. And I kind of wanted to bring this up really quick um, just to take a look at this offensive line depth chart here uh, and try to maybe even create a depth chart here, Ryan, because I think that's where, you know, we want to set things up. I think right now we're, as we sit here, that starting five is, is pretty crystal clear at, at least going into camp. Things can change drastically. I mean, last year, before we we started, I mean, people thought, yeah, Daryl Williams would probably get some reps at guard, maybe get some reps reps at tackle, maybe be in the mix to win a job. Maybe if he performs well, well, day one he went in there mm. and he was the right tackle. So things can change. But if you're talking about right now, Mitch Morse at center, Deion Dawkins left tackle, uh, Daryl Williams right tackle. That's set. I think John Feliciano, as of right now, is your right guard, and Cody Ford is your left guard. And then things get super interesting because I think. Ike Bucker started what eight nine games last year for this team. Ryan Bates is a guy that you know he has this he just has this vibe around him that it, it could be any time he breaks out and wins a starting job. I think he's gonna really test some guys um, this off this uh, training camp period, uh, push some guys. I should say um, the problem for him is I think they really do view him as a tackle, and in that scenario or, or that backup center role, so it's going to be tough for him to unless they want to use him at guard. So he's probably going to end up being your swing tackle, at least going into this the year. They like Jordan Devi. Um, Trey Adams is a, is a mega uh, developmental talent. And that's a guy that people often ask us about. And, you know, I think he struggled at times, especially even as we got into the season, which rightfully so undrafted free agent, no off season, everything that happened with COVID. And then you have that pack of, of three players in that second and third wave of free agency in Hart, Douglas and Lamp who I think are are all going to come in here. Um, Hart probably the least in terms of who I'd say has a chance to push somebody for a job, then probably Douglas a little bit ahead of him. I think Lamp is a guy that I'm not going to sit here and, t- and, and, and call it, if you will, that he's going to um, push anybody for a job. But out of the three, I think he's probably got the best odds. I, I agree with that. Uh, and of the starting five, I think you can put four of them in Sharpie. I think Cody Ford is the only one that you can't really put in 100% right now. Obviously, Brandon Bean is high on him. Postseason com- uh, comments about how how they envision using him, how he's been injured, how much they really like him still. Everything points to him being the day one starter, but he still has to win the job. And like Butker is going to push him a little bit. You know, Lamp could end up being someone that pushes him for from playing time. I, I like these signings. Not everyone sticks, but he's also shown that being Brandon Bean, that some of these guys that aren't going to make the roster, he can swing them in a trade and get a, a day three pick, whether it's in this year's draft, next year's draft, conditional pick. Because offensive linemen, there are always teams looking for players with experience. And he's shown time and time again that he can get some value. You know, he did it with Russell Bodine of, of all players. Uh, who really came in here and did not do much with Buffalo. So if he can do that, he could do this with a Forrest Lamp, or he could do that with a Bobby Hart, whoever is that odd man out come uh, August. Looking through the uh, comment section here, if you do have any last-minute uh, questions here, get them in. Um, you know, looking at that roster, Ryan, wide receiver is so deep. And we were talking about, the possibility of going, you know, day one or day two at, at wide receiver. And I think it's smart because you got Cole Beasley um, to a degree. You got Cole Beasley who, you know, is getting older. This is the third year of a four-year deal. They can move away from that next year. I mean, uh, if they wanted to, I'm not saying that they should or, or that he's even trending in a, in a poor direction. I think I think Cole Beasley set up to, to be really effective into his 30s, like, you know, um, depending as long as he can stay healthy. And then Emmanuel Sanders is probably, you know, at, at best, a two-year option, uh, more realistic, probably a one-year option. So to add another player into the mix, I don't think is necessarily a bad thing. But when you go down this wide receiver list, it it's so impressive. I mean, th- there's got and I and maybe we're overvaluing a couple of these guys, but I'm just talking about guys with NFL experience. You know, Duke Williams, who's who's caught big touchdown passes in the NFL. Um, Jay Kumaro with that big one last year. Um, guys that don't have a, a, a big body of work, but guys that I think could be in the mix or at least you could trust to play. And then the unknowns of Isaiah Hodgins, Isaiah McKenzie a little bit to a degree. What would what would he look like in, in a larger role? And then Gabriel Davis, I still think that that's one of the great unknowns going into next year is what role is he going to assume 
with Sanders in the mix now, who's kind of an alpha. Can Gabriel Davis assume that that number two role? I think these are all fun questions that become even more interesting to debate depending on how the Bills address the position in the draft. Yeah, and you know, even Tanner Gentry to a lesser extent, I I know that his odds are, are stacked against him, but that was Josh Allen's favorite target at Wyoming. That's one of his closest friends. He could come in here and, and they could have an instant rapport, pretty much take off where they they left off at the college level, and he could make uh, his case for a spot on this roster. The Bills go deep, but they can say, okay, Isaiah McKenzie, he is a wide receiver. He's our gadget guy, but we can also kind of put him in that Andre Roberts spot where, yes, he's one of our receivers, but when we're saying we're going to keep seven guys, one of those seven is our return man, and that's what Isaiah McKenzie is. And then it's, you know, the, the next six, and then it gets tough because obviously Diggs and, and Beasley and Gabriel Davis and Emmanuel Sanders, they're all locked into those spots. And, and then it kind of comes down to do you take a rookie early that you think could be a long-term factor, someone opposite Stefan Diggs, someone that brings us something a little bit different than what Gabriel Davis does because Davis was outstanding when Josh Allen had to roll out uh, in terms of getting open, making plays. So, it's going to be really interesting, but I wouldn't put it past the Bills to to attack that wide receiver position early because as strong as that unit is, the the saying is you got to keep your fastball, and that's what Buffalo needs. They need to keep giving Josh Allen weapons, and, and really taking a wide receiver high this year, it's not a bad idea. You don't have to rush them onto the field, but they're going to have a lot of really good players to learn from as a rookie as you bring them on slowly. Yeah, I see some people in the comments here. <laughs> John's like, they keep having these shows during my gym time. Well, I apologize. We try to, <laughs> we try to make it consistent on these Wednesday shows so you guys always know uh, when we're going to be live. Uh, but we're always open to changing things around. And and as we go through the offseason, it's going to be interesting because um, we'll, we're going to mix things up a little bit. Next week is our one-year anniversary show. So we started the podcast almost 365 days ago. So next week... We're going to have some giveaways. We're going to do a live mock draft. I'm still, uh, you know, as a matter of fact, why don't you guys comment uh, and, and let me know who you want? Uh, I think I want to do Buffalo media uh, just because I want to really zero in on that 30 pick in terms of what everybody wants. So if you have any uh, uh, requests, uh, get them in in the comment section I'll, and make sure to tag me. I'll look for it. Um so we'll do that show next week. We'll bring in some special guests. I'm excited about that. Um, but yeah, there's a, there's a lot going to be. I'm excited for May too because I really want to see what this entire picture looks like now as we move into the off season and and maybe into some um, some some workouts. Hopefully, depending on what the NFL decides to do, Ryan. Yeah, I think that's a great idea, boy. We have some fans here in the comments, Matt, that are digging deep. Look at look at this question. I love it, though. Pick your three backup offensive linemen to make the game day roster each week. Well, Ryan Bates, most likely, I think, claims one of those spots because he can play all across the line. I think, like, Butker, if he's not starting, he has that interior experience. And then maybe it is a, a forest lamp. I, I can't really solidify that third spot, but... I, I love those questions that kind of make me do a double glance and look that that one definitely caught me off guard. What do you think? Is anyone that you disagree with off that list? No, I, th I think that that's a, uh, that's about right. Right. Uh, pick your three backup O-line O-linemen that make the game day roster each week. Well, I will say that they do like rostering eight um, offensive linemen. And I think Butker Bates and lamp make a lot of sense. Um, you know, I think depending on this, you know, you know who's training with uh, Ike Bucker uh, this offseason, I've seen it on their Instagram, is Trey Adams. Uh, they're out together working together. I, I'd be interested to see if Trey Adams can't make a jump. And I wonder what the the year of just practice did for his body because that was one of the big knocks on him coming out, right, that he couldn't stay healthy. Mm -hmm. He struggled, I think, getting a year in the Buffalo Bills program and then getting a chance to spend some time this offseason with a guy like Ike Bucker who is – I mean, could you get any more process than that guy? I mean, the, the way that he's earned his spot on this roster is is about as billsy as you can get. So I think that that that's somebody that I would keep an eye on maybe on the low is a Trey Adams maybe to compete for that swing tackle job 
Um, I think Ryan Bates still can be that utility man as well. But I, I like a lot of the competition. And I'm right. Depending on who's there, I do not rule out offensive line at any time in this draft. Like I, I think we could sit here and say, you know, Elijah Vera Tucker, who is probably the top interior offensive lineman in the draft. That wouldn't be crazy to me at 30. It's not an, a, a glaring need, but depending on where you are in terms of your faith in a Cody Ford and an Ike Bucker long-term and, you know, those kinds of things going that, going that route is not crazy. And there, there's some interesting players. Liam Eichenberg is a, you know, a tackle who also, you know, I've read that he can maybe potentially be a guy that can move inside to guard as well. So I think they're going to like Landon Dickerson. I, I don't know if that maybe, maybe they will. I mean, Mitch Morris is in year three of, of a four-year deal. Who knows? I think there's, I'm not taking anything off the table, I guess, is my point. I think that's a astute observation. Yeah, I think that's fair. And even if not day one, day two, a Quinn Miners, Quinn Meaners, uh, I always mispronounce that last name, Wisconsin Whitewater versatility play guard or center, another one of those small schoolers that really held his own at the Senior Bowl, uh, proved that he belongs up there against the big boys. I could see him being a fit for this team. Brandon Bean is going to pick the best player for this team not just in 2021, but long-term, because you're always trying to fill in those gaps, not just what you need now, but what you know you're going to need sooner rather than later. Did you listen to Josh Allen on uh, Kyle Brandt? I did. I did. I, I'm a little disappointed that he missed the, the fireball question. That that one uh, stung because those were a childhood favorite of mine. So what you're not going to get on this podcast is any reaction to any vaccine vaccine discussion. But I do want to get into a little bit uh, of Josh Allen's podcast appearance with Kyle Brandt because I thought it was interesting. And, you know, Trey White actually made a rare uh, podcast as well uh, appearance uh, on Chris Collinsworth's show. And I, I gave both of those a listen and I, and I put up some some uh, stories this morning um, on the on them. And I think that one of the things that both of them discussed, I think, in in, in serious hindsight now is the Kansas city game and what went wrong and what they have to do a little bit different. I was going to write, uh, I, I did the Trey white one. Cause I thought what he said about Sam Darnold was super newsworthy, but check out this, this quote, uh, from him on what happened in that, in that Kansas city game. And we'll, we'll react to it a little bit. This is, this is Trey white. We're going to talk about Josh Allen too. Just go out and execute your game plan. Chris Collinsworth asked Trey white, like, you know, what do they got to do to catch up to the chiefs and beat the chiefs? Don't try and do anything different than your game plan. Go out and be confident in what your coaches and the scheme that you're going to be executing. Be confident playing. You got to know it's going to work. You got to believe it's going to work. Going against Patrick Mahomes, it's so tough because he sees the field so well. Those guys are so fast, and somebody has to be covered one-on-one. And they're so fast. You just have to play the perfect game and somehow have a little bit of luck. But you have to make the plays when they're when they present themselves. When Patrick is running around and he throws that crossbody pass and he that he always completes, we some kind of way have to come up with an interception on that. Did they have any takeaways in that game, Ryan? No, no. not that I can recall. No, I mean the only, in fact, the only uh, time that they punted in that game was after Mahomes delivered. I think it was like a thirty-five yard pass to Tyreek Hill, hit him on the hands, and he dropped it. That's the only time they even punted the ball in that game. Right. And I think it was Trey who got beat on that one. So I think he's probably talking a little bit about himself, you know, you know, taking advantage of your opportunities, you know, playing a little bit better and covering a little bit better. I think everybody, you know, they, they took ownership of that. That's nothing new. You got to take advantage of your opportunities to the maximum, maximize all your possessions because those things are going to play a big time role in changing the game. Those guys, eventually they're going to make some plays that offense. And let's be honest, that's true. They're going to burst on the scene and have a big splash play. But you've got to try to limit those things and take advantage of those opportunities. When you get a fumble down in the red zone, you need the touchdown, not the field goal. You need mm. the points. Um, it's interesting there. And, you know, I, I think that first and foremost, you know, all of this offseason discussion that we've had about what the Bills have to do to elevate the roster to be able to deal with the Kansas City Chiefs, I think a lot of the answers – are right there on the roster. I think you got to just play better in a lot of ways. You know, it was a big spot. We've talked about the coaching uh, decisions, some of the, the the puzzling ones. You know, he he didn't say, he didn't say coaching, but 
field getting touchdowns instead of field goals. Yeah, you got to be aggressive when you're when you t- you're talking about opportunities. Being in the red zone against the Kansas City Chiefs is an opportunity, and you have to try to score a touchdown there because, it, especially with the way that that game was going, Ryan. I think you go back and watch it, and you feel the momentum. You know, after the Bills go up 10-0 and Kansas City just bolts right back mm. into it, and it seems like the marathon is starting. You got to be able to take that baton and, and score touchdowns, and they weren't able to do that. And I, I think that that's something that, in that game again, another year with the nucleus of talent. And that's another thing. Don't forget that this Patrick Mahomes core of group of players, this that was their third year together, basically, right? Three straight AFC title games, um, Super Bowl championship. When it comes to knowing your personnel. Patrick Mahomes had a head start on Josh Allen. He was he was at a further stage of it than Josh Allen was. So I think just that piece of it, you 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 advance a year. And Josh Allen said it on the show with Kyle Brandt. Hopefully we can play that game in Buffalo this year. Uh, that would be obviously a, a much needed advantage. Uh, I, I think that there's a lot of answers on the roster as it is right now when you talk about developing a lot of these players. Yeah, and when you're talking about Trey's responses. You know, the kicking field goals versus touchdowns, first of all. The Bills were really aggressive during the regular season in terms of going for it on those fourth and and manageable spots, and they weren't in the championship game. And I I know Sean McDermott said, you know, you you take the points, you want the points, but against a team like the Chiefs especially, a field goal is not going to do much at the end of the day. You do need those touchdowns. Trey mentioned you need the perfect game plan. That game plan was far from perfect. Uh, they were letting Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill run wide open in the middle of the field. They couldn't really cover them, uh, where they kind of did a good job of taking Hill out of the game a little bit in that first matchup. And uh, they had Saran Neal on Kelsey at times, and he was kind of physical. You didn't see that in in the championship game, and that kind of worked against him. But he's right. You have to, you know, sometimes it's a matter of, making plays, uh, t- making the most of situations. And I actually go back to Kansas City's game against Miami in the regular season where Miami almost knocked them off because when Mahomes was throwing a ball, someone at the first or the second level was able to get a fingertip on the ball and tip it, and that led to, I, I want to say, three interceptions in that game. The Bills weren't able to get to him, but they weren't also able to really bat any balls up into the air and make those opportunistic plays that Miami did in that regular season matchup. And that can be the difference in, in a game, and in a, especially an AFC championship game. If the Bills could have forced a few turnovers in that matchup, uh, then, yeah, the, the Bills may have been in that late into the game, and it could have been whoever had the ball last would have won. So they didn't make the most of the opportunities. I know we're talking about Trey here, but I also love the fact that Josh Allen said that that loss is something that sticks with him to this day because it was the same thing that he said last year after they had lost in that wild card game to Houston. So I'm sure this is something that's going to fuel him. He's going to want to come in this season. And, and, you know, it's hard to build on a season where you finish second in MVP voting, but I'm sure that Allen has all intentions of doing that and more here in 2021. Yeah. You mentioned Josh Allen. We get to him. What were, what were your big takeaways from uh, his appearance uh, on the show? He talked about a couple things and one of them was his, you know, his looming contract extension. Yeah, he well, I mean, he played that pretty well down the middle, pretty much saying, you know, when it happens, it happens because I, I think, one, you let your agent handle these things for a reason because right now, as much as I'm sure he would like to be signed long-term by Buffalo, he also knows and his agent also knows that there's a big contract coming the league's way or that they're signing off on uh, with TV revenue, and, and it's going to make that uh, cap skyrocket. So if he signs this offseason for 40, 41 million on average, that could end up being an underpayment in a year or two based on what the cap looks like. So maybe it is kind of a weighted out process. So he was very diplomatic in terms of how he spoke on that. Uh, I did find it interesting when he was talking about Cam Newton and how he feels really small next to Cam Newton because they were, uh, it sounded like they were kind of training together because he he works with Jarrett Stidham and, and Cam Newton was down there working with some New England guys. He said, when I was standing next to him, I felt tiny. So it is interesting to, to see that he still uh, looks at Cam Newton and, and holds him in such a high regard, but a, a lot of little fun, interesting tidbits in that interview. Yeah, I thought it was a, a, a cool um, format, first and foremost, like the 10 questions. You you have the, the, the trivia game, but you also work in some different interviews. And I'm not surprised, Kyle Brandt, very entertaining on that show. Um, but 
a good morning football. But I think that, yeah, Elliot uh, Eisler, a great listener of the show. Shout out to Elliot. What's up, buddy? Um, great point saying how the pandemic allowed him to, you know, work on his mechanics and really hone in on some of the things that maybe weren't going right for him in his first two years. Um, Joseph uh, Diodato says, why is he training with Patriots quarterbacks? Well, I guess he's really good friends with uh, Jared Stidham. Um, obviously a bunch of quarterbacks down there that work with Jordan Palmer, Sam Darnold, Kyle Allen. Uh, I believe last year, Joe Burrow was down there. I'm not sure if he's down there now. Um, but they're all very, uh, super close. And speaking of which, speaking of quarterbacks, Ryan, I got a big story coming out Wednesday, uh, next week, Monday. I'm really excited about it. It's on Davis Webb. I don't want to give away too much, but I think hardcore bills fans are going to want to rip into this story. It's a lot of the behind the scenes stuff. Davis Webb, I, I told you about it the other day. He could be the most interesting Buffalo Bill on the roster, which is a crazy distinction considering he's a practice squad player basically at this stage of his career. But I think when people um, read the story, they're going to really get a kick out of it. I talked to some people, and uh, it's it's going to be fun. Uh, but before we get out of here, final thought, Ryan. Anything else before uh call quits? Final thought, yeah, don't be surprised if Brandon Bean makes a few more of these one-year signings between now and, and night one of the draft. But also keep in mind that regardless of the position, it's not going to matter in terms of what the Bills do at pick 30. Uh, we've seen it before where they sign a running back right before the draft like they did with TJ Yeldon, and then they ended up adding a Devin Singletary that year on day two. Um, they're adding all these offensive linemen. It does not rule out the bills from taking offensive linemen round one, round two, round three. He is simply adding some insurance to this roster now, not knowing how the draft board is going to fall here at the end of the month. So these signings do not eliminate any position, obviously quarterbacks not being taken in round one. We can not, we can eliminate that in special teams, but every other position that's fair game. And I think that's kind of exciting if you're a bills fan. For Ryan Talbot, I am Matt Perino. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Uh, great uh, to get some insight from Jordan Reed. We will be back next week with our anniversary edition. Uh, it's going to be a live mock draft. So we're going to go pick one through 32, and then we're going to come up with our best laid plans for maybe day two of the draft at that point. Uh, pick 61 and 93 for the Bills. Uh, it's going to be fun. Thank you so much for watching, and we will see you then. Take care, guys.